I am Sue. And I'm Helena, and we both work at the Emma's Trust. Just a little disclaimer, we're recording this over Zoom uh, because of coronavirus and social distancing. So apologies if the sound is a bit iffy at any stage. Please do bear with us. We'd like to welcome you to our podcast, Multiple Sclerosis, Breaking It Down, and this new series that we have called Me, Myself and I, which focuses on people with MS's stories over the past year. Why this topic? The last 12 months have been unlike any other in so many ways. On top of the social restrictions, worries about job security and the health of family and friends, people with MS have also had to contend with delays to the MS services which they rely on. The MS Trust wanted to highlight the people and faces behind these statistics. We wanted to impress the urgent need to get the MS services back on track by showing that there is a human story behind each person person mentioned in these figures. So in this series, we'll be meeting some people with MS and hearing their stories from the past year. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about how getting an MS diagnosis during lockdown uh, feels. Every week, about 130 people get diagnosed with MS in the UK. During lockdown, we've actually seen a decline in the number of people being referred to neurologists, which means that there is a lot of people out there that are still undiagnosed. And the world of the new diagnosed changes all the time. Um, When I was diagnosed myself back in 2007, and the approach was very much to wait and see, like not start on any treatment, uh, but more and more newly diagnosed people are advised uh, advised to start treatment earlier. Um, And when you're newly diagnosed, there's like so many feelings that fly through your head. Uh, And having a really good MS team to rely on is super important. So I can't really imagine what it would be like to be diagnosed during lockdown. So I've been talking with Hina about how she coped with being diagnosed with MS during lockdown and the impact it had on her life. Today I'm talking to Hina, who was diagnosed with relapsing remitting MS during lockdown last year. Uh, we're going to chat to her a little bit about her diagnosis and also how it felt to be diagnosed with MS during the pandemic. So hi Hina, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi Susan, thank you so much for having me on, I really appreciate it. Oh, it's really nice to talk to you. Um, could we start off by just, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So uh, my name's Hina, Hina Sheikh, and I'm 25 years old. I'm a British Pakistani Muslim. Um, I work full time in kind of equality, diversity and inclusion in HR. So it does keep me very busy. Yeah. Um, kind, of, kind of in my spare time, I like to read. Uh, I like to play Pokemon on my Nintendo Switch uh, and baking. But to be honest with you, at the moment, most of my free time is taken up in wedding planning. Oh, that's exciting. When are you getting married? Fingers crossed, October this year. But you just never know with COVID, right? No, this is true. Things, yeah, you can only plan so far, can't you? And then um, something changes, but fingers crossed, hopefully. Oh, that's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, just planning process is quite difficult with COVID, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah, oh, definitely. Oh, that's really exciting news. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about when you were first diagnosed with MS? Um, I think you said that you you had symptoms um, several months before, so it took a while for you to actually get diagnosed. Yeah, of course. So um, my first symptoms started in May 2020. So, well, in a few, in about a month or so, it will be a, a year. Yeah. So I just woke up one morning and I had kind of blurred vision in my right eye. And to be honest with you, I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought, you know, sometimes like when you're sleeping, you can sometimes like hit yourself in the eye or you just poked yourself or I've just, you know, rubbed it too hard when I was itching my eye or something. And then it didn't go away for a few days. And I thought this is maybe not, maybe not normal. 
And I remember because it was still Ramadan, which is the month of fasting uh, mm-hmm. in the Muslim calendar. And I thought maybe it's the effects of fasting. Could it be the effects of fasting? I mean, it's not never happened before, but I was like, maybe it's that because it's hot, um, you know, on the screen a lot. So many things went through my mind. So I did leave it for a few days. And then after a few days, my mum my actually said to me that I think you should like get this checked out. So obviously at that point in time, I think we were on the lockdown still. So many different things have happened. It's hard to... Starting to ease slightly, I think, wasn't it, in May? It but I think it was still... Yeah. yeah. But basically, hard to remember, isn't it? Exactly. What it really happened. is hard to remember. We've been in different, so many different tiers and things. They don't even know sometimes. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, so um, I rang the GP and I had a virtual um, appointment with them because they couldn't see me in person because of COVID. Mm. And the um, the GP actually did mention uh, NS quite straight away, which I was quite shocked. She said that, you know, it does sound like you've got something called optic neuritis, which could be a symptom of MS. And normally GPs don't mention serious things straight away so I was quite surprised but she didn't say that it obviously it's definitely MS she just kind of mentioned it more in passing but obviously it stuck with me because it's quite a big thing but she referred me to an uh, an optometrist so it was actually just a local optician that I went to and they were fantastic they saw me I think either the day after or the you know within two days of my GP appointment so I was able to actually go for an in-person appointment and the ophthalmologist said, yes, you've got optic neuritis. He looked into my eye and he saw that there was inflammation there. And then they referred me over to the ophthalmology unit where I think about a week or so later, I had more tests. They referred me to neurology. I then had um, an MRI scan and a lumbar puncture. So to be honest with you, it even though it was a pandemic mm-hmm. and um I know that from other people's diagnosis story that can take quite quite a long time to be diagnosed. I do actually feel I was diagnosed in quite quickly. So my first symptoms were May 2020 and I was diagnosed in November 2020, which I don't, I didn't feel like it was that long, to be honest. I guess especially when you, you sort of factor in the fact that there was a pandemic going on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, and after my first kind of um, issue with an optic neuritis, I had the lumbar puncture, which came back inconclusive and my MRI came back fine. So I was put on a course of steroids and, and that was it. I had a follow-up appointment with ophthalmology about a month later um, and in ju- about July time this was and I was it, my inflammation had gone, it, everything was back to normal really and we kind of left it there. And then um, in October 2020, I woke up one morning with kind of tingling in my, fi- my fingers right. and I thought, okay, this is because I'm like on the computer all the time, must be surely. Um, but then that can like, spread to my whole arm, to my toes, to like the whole left hand side of my my body, really. And I was like, this this isn't right. So I rang the GP. They did like an emergency kind of referral to the neuroambulatory clinic or something like that. I had to go in a few times before like, I was actually properly able to see like a neurologist. Mm-hmm. I had um, another MRI scan. And then I still remember the day I was diagnosed, actually. It was it was a Friday, and it was 6th of November, and it was just before sunset, actually, because I was still working, and I was waiting for the results of my MRI. And the neurologist rang me and said, you have, you've you've got lesions in kind of the upper the spinal cord, and, and what it is, what we're telling you is basically you've got 
multiple sclerosis and wow. it was quite surreal getting that information over the phone yeah I bet yeah. that must be quite difficult um, it was it was yeah how, how did you feel did you kind of take it all in when when they told you that or did you have lots of questions and then speak to them again or how, how did that sort of time feel Honestly, sometimes it still feels like still a little bit of a blur because I'd still feel like it wasn't that long ago. Mm. Um, I did, he, the neurologist did say to me, do you want some more information now or do you want to have a follow-up call? And I actually asked for the information then and there. And it actually just so happened that my mum happened to be in the room with me at that time as well. I think she just mm. walked in. And we, yes, yeah, so I, so I asked some questions about kind of treatments and he was like look we'll need to have kind of follow-up appointments and things like that and then he put the phone down and then I just remember kind of looking at my mum she was really like upset trying to trying to stay strong not break yeah. down then I just broke down into a bit of a ball and just she just kind of hugged me whilst I cried really and I think I just in that moment I was just like I couldn't really believe it that what mm-hmm. he had said to me on the phone that I had multiple sclerosis because I had when the GP first mentioned it back in May, I had done some research, but then when my MRI came out clear, I was mm. like, oh, okay, this may be just like a blip or you know, too much screen time or something. But then when you know this came out, I was like, what does this mean for you know my future? And it just brought up so many questions and it was, yeah. Just, I think that's what a lot of people say, they, they just have suddenly so many questions and so many things going around in your head and it yeah. must take, take a lot of time to actually for everything to sink in. Yeah, I still, sometimes I still feel it hasn't sunk in, to be honest. Mm, I'd imagine, yeah, absolutely. So um, how how are you now? How what, what sort of symptoms do you live with on a daily basis at the moment? Um, so I still actually, even though um, I did have a course of steroids to help with the kind of numbness in my, in my kind of left-hand side of my body, it's gone for most of my body now, that's fine. But I still don't have, it's very difficult to explain, but I still don't have the full kind of, sensory touches in my in my fingers it's we I really don't know how to explain it it's really strange but like it basically just doesn't feel the same as my right hand so my left hand when I even just press my fingers together they still feel a little bit numb okay and even after the steroids and and now I'm on a disease modifying therapy they still don't feel 100% right um so that's kind of one symptom I have Mm. at the moment I, I get fatigue is quite is quite difficult and I never really understood what fatigue was <laughs> until uh, I was diagnosed so I have you know I have friends who have different kind of chronic illnesses and they've it, tried to explain fatigue mm. and I think explanations can only take you so far <laughs> sometimes yeah. we hear a lot of that that people kind of say that they you, you can't understand fatigue unless you've got it you yeah. then, then you understand it <laughs> you hit the nail on the head it really is the case <clears> of like you have to almost experience it and it is sometimes it does feel like you have been in hit by a bus sometimes even you know when you wake up in the morning or even at the end of a long working day I feel like working before I could do it quite easily and now I feel like it does take a lot more more time and energy um I would say and especially because I'm in kind of a quality diversity and inclusion work mm. I am so kind of I'm still learning about kind of uh, disabilities and where that fits in without yeah, how I can be a better advocate as well because yeah. kind of the area I look at is more so to do with kind of uh, with of race and ethnicity but it's made me really aware about the obviously the intersections with, with disability and just disability issues in general mm. and how um and I'm also a 
a bit like ashamed that I've never actually really, whilst I've been aware of the issues that people from the dis disabled community face, I don't I haven't necessarily looked into it as much as I perhaps should have until my own diagnosis mm -hmm. and I became part of that community so that's also been another kind of eye-opening experience but yeah sorry kind of gone off on track no, there, not but all, not think, all. Yeah, fatigue and um, and I've, I've really struggled with memory loss which for me is quite it's quite difficult because my memory is generally very good so like I studied like a language my undergraduate degree so like memorizing words in different languages was was almost like second nature it came very very easily memory is not is not so great now which is which is I find difficult especially with my job is very very it's very busy it's very hectic I need to retain a lot of in, information and sometimes I find get frustrated with myself that I can't do that and I think I'm still in some ways coming to terms with my diagnosis it, it's been what maybe five five months or so four or five months yeah it must be about that isn't it yeah yeah I think so so I still think you know, sometimes low mood still does get me down uh, with things and even just you know sometimes taking hot showers I sometimes get really tingly limbs that's something that I've been noticing more recently or I will um you know do something like going like get the other day I was helping mum in the garden just kind of like picking out some weeds and afterwards my hands were so tingly so there's yeah some really I'm, I'm still learning about the all the different effects that's what that's what's on the list so far I bet yeah well that, that's what everybody says that and it's it's difficult because everybody kind of um experiences different symptoms there's no two peoples that experience the same so you can't get you can't sort of meet somebody with MS and they say this is how it is because it will be different for them than it is for you 100 yeah very very difficult to get your head around <laughs> it is it yeah. is um, you, sp you spoke a little bit about work then that was um was that a new job you started was it um, um not long after your diagnosis so how was that then starting a new job a in lockdown which isn't easy and mm -hmm. having just had a, a diagnosis that must have been quite stressful it, it was I, I won't I won't lie I won't lie so I actually I was already in the organization itself um I just moved apartments into a new role it was quite a significant step up from where I was before and then I started that job you know kind of end of September um really and then the month about a month or so later came my diagnosis and I was really concerned because the nature of my role and how much work I know that I have to do and this just stresses that can come with it because the type of work that I do is is inextricably linked to my own identity as a as a kind of South Asian woman and um, so that's you know taxing emotionally aside from kind of any any other kind of parts of the job so I was really concerned about my ability to actually continue and, and complete even though I'd only been in the job for a, about a month but I was really upfront with my manager and she was actually re really supportive and really great and occupational health already kind of had my um information on file because when I had my op optic neuritis again at that point I did speak to my manager and again she was absolutely fantastic really great at just getting a referral in to see if there's any adjustments I needed and the same happened um after my diagnosis and even with kind of attending appointments and and what whatnot my manager has been has been really good and supportive with that oh, that's really good yeah really good to hear 
Um, looking at kind of lockdown in general, if you like, um, a lot of people found it to be a really negative experience. Um, I can't imagine you found it as a great experience having had your diagnosis. But what would you say? Um, what would you say were the, were the hardest parts of lockdown for you? I think so. So I mentioned that um, Ramadan, the month of fasting in the kind of Muslim Muslim calendar, came in in lockdown last year and even this year will, will be certain restrictions. And I think that was an interesting experience to say the least, because Ramadan is normally a time for kind of community. Um, we'll pray kind of nightly prayers at the mosque or you'll go and have your break the, your, the fast in the evening with friends and family. And that just was all gone last year. So I think that was a really different experience. Whilst it was nice and to be able to spend time at home with family, I think that element was missing. And then obviously, uh, Eid, which is a celebration at the end of to mark the end of Ramadan, which again is a time for community and family. We just couldn't go and celebrate um, with 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 our family because especially because we live near from them, so it wasn't even a case we can just like pop round and wave to them from out from the car or something because we do live quite far away. But in the same kind of breath, I would say that I do feel really lucky that I have the kind of job that does allow me to work from home. Um, because I, I'm massively aware that there are so many people who still had to work who and have are still working throughout this pandemic. So I felt very lucky that I was able to be at home for that period, especially when I had my optic neuritis, neuritis and, my, and my diagnosis, that I could work from home because that does provide a, provide a lot more flexibility, I think, than if we'd been in the, in the office and in, in quote-unquote normal working environment. And... I think other things, again, not being able to see my friends. I think that's another difficult one. We, again, because we all live in different places in the UK, so just not being able to see them. But at the same time, grateful for technology and what that's Where would we be us. without Zoom? <laughs> Where would we be? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think we'd be here. We wouldn't be here for the conversation, probably. Exactly, yeah. um, it's, that's, you know, I, I found difficult. Um what else I guess I think yeah not being able to see my grandma um I think I find that really difficult because she's she's you know quite far away from us and we do worry um just you know about her even though you know she has family nearby not not being able to see her and you know especially as she is as she is and you know she's elderly now mm. and just being able to spend that time with her and even just yeah I think motivation sometimes with work can be quite difficult as well uh, has been difficult in lockdown sometimes you're really kind of on it and you everything's fine and sometimes you're like we're in a pandemic <laughs> just we'll just we'll just take the foot off the pedal a little bit it's no time to hit you doesn't it <laughs> yeah it doesn't it it really does yeah. hit you. it's actually not that deep like it's <laughs> it, we, we are in a pandemic yeah like, give yourself a break <laughs> Yeah, so sometimes, you know, being going easy on yourself a little bit. Mm. So I'm, I'm generally a positive person, so I try and see the positive side of things. Of course, a pandemic is terrible. And in the UK, we've not necessarily, to put it lightly, we've not dealt with <laughs> COVID in the way that we necessarily should. Um, but whilst there has been some real challenges, I do feel very grateful that I have, you know, a space, a separate space where I can work. I have a garden I can go and relax in. So I feel like, you know, I do feel just very, very privileged and very, very grateful that there are so many things that have helped me through lockdown, which just aren't aren't the case, isn't the case for other people. 
That's a really nice answer because you kind of because I was going to ask you if you've seen any positives to to lockdown, which a lot of people just say no, they can't. But even just your positivity towards the end of that that question is is really refreshing. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, are there any specific positives that you've seen, or um, is it more kind of the general general sense that you were just saying that you actually had had the time to work from home and that kind of thing? I think yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned, the working from home technology. Um, I think it's taught us that we can work from home. I think some people. Um, some people's roles think, oh, this can't be, we can't do these things from home. Well, I think this has taught us that we can. Uh, and in the sector that I'm in, I think it's also potentially helped with accessibility for lots of different people. I think before when we were in a case of, well, we can't do these things and we, because of, you know, resourcing, we don't have that kind of technological knowledge to move things online. Well, now we have, and I think, and I hope, that this is going to set a precedent for how we do things kind of moving forward in the future and it can be generally accessible um yeah, definitely. i think even in the ms sector and um, sort of nurses have talked about how hopefully they'll continue things like online consultations where necessary because it helps people that aren't necessarily as and um, can't get out as easily to, to yeah. access the services so there's definitely been learnings from it i think across all the sectors which i think is a really positive thing isn't it 100 percent, and i think um other kind of positives of lockdown I'd say I've just really appreciated where I live more I live near a, like a canal which is again feels so so grateful to live near like nature and be able to just go on a walk and get away from kind of just work and a screen and just literally see like something about being by water I find really calming and just being you know seeing the change in the seasons as well because it's those little things that we don't often stop to appreciate and I think we've, we've seen that and I've really noticed that even like spring's like one of my favorite uh well is my favorite season and just noticing like my neighbor's tree has kind of the cherry blossoms have come out again this week and I was like oh I remember that happened last year and but on a, normally I would never really notice that and it's interesting because he's got a certain type of cherry blossom tree and next door to him there's a different type of cherry blossom tree that's still not actually blossomed so just you know noticing things like that in nature which I think his lockdown has for some people helped us to slow down a little bit and appreciate those things a bit more as well definitely definitely yeah I remember sort of noticing the um the daffodils coming up a bit more this year thinking oh spring is coming it's coming yeah, <laughs> yeah. willing it on yeah and hopefully, if we're looking forward to a lockdown-free future, fingers crossed. And um, are there any any things that you're looking forward to about getting back to normal? Are there any things that concern you about it? Because I think some people have um, spoken that actually the reality of going back to work and things like that are actually quite quite daunting. So I wondered if there's a, yeah, what you're looking forward to and what you might be slightly concerned about, especially now you've got your new diagnosis. Hmm. I think what I'm looking forward to getting back to in normal life well I guess we don't really know what the new normal is going to look like but anyway I'm looking forward to seeing my family going to like visit my grandma and see my cousins and my uncles and my aunties I'm also looking forward to seeing my fiance so I haven't seen him in in months so I'm really looking forward to just like seeing him and spending time with him and I'm also looking forward to seeing my friends um going out just going out with them and just you know maybe taking like a road trip through Yorkshire or something just yeah just actually seeing people in person and not through a screen would be would be it's one of the things I'm looking forward to I do have obviously has hesitations about you know returning to kind of returning to the world 
as it were. But I think I'm still going to kind of be cautious and take precautions. And I think kind of mask wearing and hand, you know, extra, extra hand washing will be something that I do for a long, long time. But I am, whilst I do have my reservations and my fears about, you know, the like the mass exodus out to the outside world, I think I'm just going to take a balanced approach. But yeah, just really looking forward to being able to see like my family, fiance, and my friends really. Yeah. Just to be on the safe side for longer, and even if the government guidelines, you know, aren't recommending those things, I think even kind of personally, I, I will. I will always tend to err, kind of err on the side of caution a little bit. Mm-hmm. And even kind of with my own wedding, I think just, you know, some people, you know, they're coming up and, and hug kind of the bride and groom, right? And I'm just like, I don't know how I feel about so many people coming to hug me, for example, like when it comes to hopefully, fingers crossed, October, because that's so many different people. And before, again, we'd never even... You wouldn't have thought about it, would you? Yeah, right? Yeah. We wouldn't even think about it. But now I'm just like, oh, I don't necessarily know if I want people to hug yeah, me or just like... Just a like, virtual hug or... <laughs> yeah, something like that. So it's like really made me think about different things. But I am looking forward to just, you know, sitting, you know, as, as kind of, you know silly as it may sound but just sitting in a cafe and having some tea and a cake sounds and, silly that sounds lovely <laughs> yeah, and just being able to do something like that or just go for you know an afternoon tea or just just kind of those normal things to be honest even if it means having to wear a mask I'm totally okay with that yeah oh thank you so much for talking to us Hina it's been really nice chatting to you um I think yeah I think your um the things that you've said all really resonate with a lot of people um who've got MS or who've been diagnosed with MS recently so I think and it's um, a really great way to raise awareness as well of, um, of the condition. So, yeah, I really appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, do stay in touch with us. I will. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been honestly such a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Hannah. Thanks. Now, if it, this was a commercial podcast, here's where there would be an advert. But we're a charity, so we don't do that. So instead, we'd like to take this opportunity to tell you about our fantastic resources for people with MS. Our website, mstrust.org.uk, has tons of information and resources for people affected by MS. And if you're newly diagnosed and want to find out more about MS, there's a whole section on our website called Newly Diagnosed. You can also order or download our Making Sense of MS resource, which is completely dedicated to people recently diagnosed. Now we're going to talk to Blaine, who also was diagnosed during lockdown. So hi everyone, um, today I'm talking to Blaine who was diagnosed with relapsing remitting MS last year. Um, we're here to chat to her a little bit today about how that felt and also how the lockdown impacted on that diagnosis. So hi Blaine, thanks for joining us today. Hi. Really, really great to chat with you. Um, should we? Um, could we start off by, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so I am 32 I have got four children, two boys, two girls, um, eldest 13, youngest three, nearly four. Um, I did childminding on and off, obviously in between the children for nearly 11 years. Um, I live with my partner, Kyle. Um, He's a plasterer. And I stopped childminding in October. And that was obviously following... Um, go through all my diagnosis and everything back in April um so yeah I, I'm not doing anything at the moment which I'm not used to 
So you mentioned that you were diagnosed last April and so yes. almost just after the lockdown started. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been really difficult. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the diagnosis, sort of what, what symptoms led you to? Yeah, I, I literally woke up one morning and from my rib cage down to my toes, I couldn't feel anything um, all the way front and back. Um, when I say I couldn't feel it, I couldn't feel it to touch um so it was like it, everything had just gone numb so I could still walk um and it was really strange because I'd go onto our cold tiles at home and it'd feel on the bottom of the foot my foot like it was burned I stood on burning coal um but to touch I couldn't feel anything so wearing you know shorts or something it it, it felt really strange um around my doctors um Obviously, it was in lockdown, so I couldn't see them. Um, so it was all phone calls. Um, and I just sort of got told, oh, it's probably a trapped nerve. Don't worry. Um, and about a week later, I rang them again and said, it's still, it's still, I can't feel it. Um, and they said, oh, not to worry. It, I think it sounds like a trapped nerve. Try and take some tablets, um, see how you get on. And then it was a couple of days later and it was still exactly the same. And I thought, this has gone on far too long now. Mm-hmm. Ran the doctors again and spoke to a different doctor. And she said, um, this isn't a trap nerve. This isn't normal. Um, I'm going to send you to a neurologist, refer you to a neurologist. So I said, OK. Um, had my phone call with the neurologist only a few days later. They, you know, give me a lockdown. It was brilliant. Mm. Um, and he said, um, I'm going to book you for an MRI never had an MRI um so I was like okay um I went in on the Monday following for that um two o'clock had my MRI came home and then literally on the Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock I had a phone call from the neurologist secretary um saying he'd like to see you today Oh, wow, that must have been obviously I started panicking I'm thinking yeah. all sorts you know brain tumor or something That's um, goes, though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I was a mess because mm-hmm. to ring me in less than 24 hours yeah um, so my dad came over and he drove me to the hospital um and they were quite good actually um considering we were in the first lockdown they let my dad come in the room oh that's good uh, which was great and you know he's pulling up all these images of your MRI on the screen and I'm thinking worst case scenarios and he said um I think this is MS um you've got several lesions in your brain and he was showing us all the images I didn't really know what I was looking at um and then he said we need to do another MRI in a couple of months but I want to do it on your spine as well because apparently you can get it in the spine so, okay, came away and I was actually, quite, it sounds silly, but I was actually quite relieved him telling me I'd got MS and not, you know, what I was thinking. Yeah. But I didn't know a lot about MS, lot, so I wasn't, yeah. I, I was almost excited for something that I didn't even know anything about. You knew nothing about MS before you diagnosed No, I mean, I've heard of it, but I yeah. didn't know to what extent it meant. Mm. So I was like, oh, it's only MS, it's fine. Um went on and, and got given a MS nurse appointment, went through all of that different treatment plans. 
Um, was then that I over had the my, phone as well, then, the MSN? That was, no, my first appointment actually was a face-to-face oh, they okay. gave me in the hospital. So this was all still during the first lockdown. Um, and they were lovely. Um, obviously got a bit emotional because at that point she's talking you through what it means. And obviously I didn't really know what it meant to start with. Mm. Um, talking me through different treatment plans. Obviously the original treatment plan she went through with me um, which sounded the best one because it had got a 50% better success rate of slowing things down, which is the ocrevenous, um, okay. the intravenous one that you have twice a year. Yeah. Um, and she said, unfortunately, because of COVID, we're not, we're not offering that for new patients. So we went through all the other um, likewise medications um, and we went on with Capaxone, which you self-inject at home. And that was only a 30% um, success rate of slowing the treatment down. Um, So we went with that one. I then had my next MRI, which was the contrast. And this one I had on the brain and the spine. Um, And I got those results back. Um, And something to do with the the dye that they put in you, it, it lightens everything up. Oh yeah, um, and unfortunately, it, it showed. You know, I'd got a lot, several lesions at my spine, and obviously, it showed the ones that, that we originally already knew about in the brain as well. Yeah. Um, I haven't spoken to my neurologist since that, um, so I, I've had lots of questions that I sort of got still to ask. Because um, obviously, the first thing that you you worry about is obviously if they're in the spine. You know, does that how long does that mean before I could end up in a wheelchair? Hmm. Um, I have since found um, like the MS Trust um, and the MS Facebook groups and you see a lot of people commenting on there and I've actually since learned through other routes that it's not always about just having them in your spine means it will disable you you could have literally one lesion in the wrong place um, and or you could have you know sort of 50 lesions and still be perfectly fine Mm. um but yeah, I've still not I've not seen my neurologist since. So I, it was brilliant at the beginning. I'm due another MRI and phone call at some point this year. Um, but obviously because of lockdown, everything's just Difficult. sort of um, um, you get told and yeah, I mean that must yeah. be so hard. I was just thinking if you do have questions, um, I don't know if you've tried our inquiry service. Um, they might be able to answer some of your questions while you're waiting and um, to see you now. Yeah, well, I spoke, I've spoken to my MS nurse um, oh, because they're, they're brilliant. Um, yeah. She rings me every couple of months because I have to keep checking in with you on your uh, medication. Yeah. Um, but the questions I've got in regards to where my lesions are or what oh, they specific. mean, mm. yes, those are questions that she said I need to have with my neurologist because mm. um, he's the only one that they'll have... Um, be able to answer those in regards to obviously looking at the MRIs I, I presume yeah. um obviously there's certain parts of you know my body and my head and things that I now think oh could that be because you know I've had a lesion or I bet yeah, you're still analyzing everything really now yeah yeah you yeah. almost want to know but then do you want to know it's so hard <laughs> And then you start thinking, well, is this just me because I'm concentrating yeah. on it or is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll be honest, because of lockdown, you've got so much more time on your hands that you end exactly. up thinking a lot more. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Oh, it must be really difficult. So is it impacted quite negatively on your mental health then? Yes, I, I've i never had mental health problems, um, but I would certainly say in the last six months, um, it's something that I've found that I have been struggling with. Um, so my doctors have put me on um, citalopram because okay. um, I have my anxiety is horrendous and it's more in the respect of just thinking worst case scenarios all the time and I think because I had doctors telling me oh it's nothing to worry about it's only you know nerve related I, I almost get paranoid that if something else happens am I going to get told it's okay when actually it might not be yeah um I guess you've lock- got your MS nurse now to keep monitoring and yes yeah. yes um so the, the medication's helping um but I think not being able to see and speak to family and friends like you could before. Obviously, you go through a, a life-changing diagnosis and you feel sort of isolated yeah. from everyone. Really difficult. Yeah. So it's that's been quite time tough. time when you absolutely just want to go and have a big hug from your yeah. family and friends, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so although my dad came with me, um, obviously, for my appointment, from then on, I've not you know, been able to have that support network and yeah like you say just having them come around and having a cuddle or because my mum works in the NHS as well so obviously we've had to make sure we've kept distance and then it's still trying to keep put on a a straight face because I've got four children at home that Mm. aren't even in school yeah (laughs) he happens to try and put on a happy face nothing's wrong that's been quite hard how was that then trying to homeschool and deal with all the diagnosis as well (sighs) tough (laughs) My I mean, eldest, I had two children that I had to homeschool and I didn't have a diagnosis to deal with. So I can only begin to imagine. Yeah. So we, we've got three that of a school age. Um, our eldest, he's in, he was in year seven, hmm. um, new school. And he, he dealt with it so well. You know, he'd, he'd be upstairs on his Chromebook doing all of his lessons. No problem. The youngest of the school ages was six. Um so his schoolwork wasn't too hard, to be fair, because they're still in that age of it's still, you know, learning to replay. Mm. Our daughter, she was nine. That was quite tough. And it's trying to, you know, some days you just, I don't know, I had days where I didn't want to socialise. I didn't want to, you know, do their schoolwork. You just feel like being miserable and just sitting down and doing nothing, but you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really hard. Really hard. Mm. So if you look back, um, do you think before your diagnosis, as of the benefit of hindsight, if you like, do you think that you probably had symptoms for a few years before your diagnosis? Or Yeah, that's that's a strange one, because I had this conversation with my, my MS nurse at the first mm. appointment and they were going back through, um, like I think it was my medical history. And she was saying that, you know, she could pinpoint out things that they would, you know, most certainly say was MS related, mm. but as an incident on its own a doctor might overlook that and just think it's you know something else it's not until you get all of them come together that they you know the MS nurse was saying it's so common for people to get diagnosed and then they look back through the history and say oh you've probably had this for x amount of years and as a result it you know their symptoms go back around seven years um so yeah but it's not until I mean, she said it's quite common. It's not until you have what they call a relapse, which is what they said I had back in April, that 
they sort of it comes to light and then you get referred to someone like a neurologist yeah and um, all of a sudden you think oh yes this this yeah this. It all makes sense you now. never until you hear of what ms is and what the symptoms mm. are i would never have put it down to anything like that yeah absolutely um so looking back over lockdown as a whole um what, what was what was the biggest challenge for you trying to deal with it emotionally I think mm. um like I said not being able to see friends and your family being at home couldn't go to the reach center um because obviously that was close and my doctor did me a referral to this reach for health mm. and obviously I couldn't go and I've still not been able to go um and we're coming up a year nearly um so yeah I think in regards to not being able to go to the right places to deal with it mentally mm. it's been quite tough do you think you've um suffered more physically because of the lockdown do you think there's anything that yeah so I've been suffering quite a lot with my legs um so since obviously I lost the sensation down my leg all of that came back but it's almost like my legs are gone really weak Hmm. and whereas I used to be able to go on you know long walks with my friends now I struggle just doing a couple of laps around our little village Hmm. um and that's where the doctor obviously said that the reach for health centre would be good um but obviously that's closed I try and get out as much as possible um but when you're meant to be shielding and then you've got four children that are at home and you've got a home school it's trying to fit everything in so whether I could say that's solely because of lockdown or a mixture of things it's not helped definitely yeah 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 um this might seem a strange question um but do you think there's any positives that you can take from the last 12 months um as a result of lockdown or the diagnosis or I think the main positive I could take is that we could, as a family, lock the door and we're all at home. I'm quite grateful for spending that time Mm. with just the six of us and the children at home, especially last summer. It was nice to be out in the garden. Um, Felt different, didn't it, the lockdown in the summer to the winter? It did, yes, Mm. yeah. And as much as I missed, obviously that connection of being able to see friends and family and going to the places I needed to get help. Some days it was just nice to be able to keep yourself locked in the door in at home. Lock with yourself. Mm, yeah. yeah. Can imagine. Yeah. Um, so you alluded to um the fact that you've not seen or spoke to your neurologist since um yeah. you, were, you were lucky enough to um speak to your MS nurse. There has been quite a few um MS professionals that have been redeployed during the um, during the lockdown do you think you were do you think you've been negatively impacted on the care that you've received if you like um I was a bit upset with obviously being told that certain medications weren't available because of lockdown obviously I know covid is a massive thing and you have to take it seriously and you know hospital appointments and doctors being used elsewhere but you couldn't I couldn't help but selfishly think well I know COVID's out there and people are suffering from that. But what about people like me that are now having to sort of look at different treatments that haven't got as good a percentage rate Mm. just because I couldn't go on to the better medication because of COVID? Yeah. 
Um, so that was quite hard to deal with, um, as I'm sure other people with other different conditions have as well. Um, a lot of appointments obviously have been done over the phone mm. rather than the face-to-face. Phone calls, appointments, have they been useful or would you, would you prefer them to be face-to-face? Or Now Zoom has come about, it's not so bad. But obviously during the first lockdown, there wasn't a lot of of zoom at all um mm. so all my phone calls were just phone calls and sometimes it's nice to put a name to a face you know you're trying to talk about something that's quite serious mm. and you know quite personal and, and you don't know who you're speaking to at the other end of the phone yeah so that was that was quite difficult um but obviously it needs more <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely um and i guess looking forward to hopefully a lockdown free future fingers crossed um, yeah. what, what hopes or concerns, if you like, have you uh, have you got for the future? Um, I hear you're getting married this year. Yes, we are. That's so exciting. So what, yeah. Yeah, what hopes have you got for the future and, and what concerns have you got? One of the concerns I'd say is getting back out there, um, mm-hmm. you know, putting on a big smile. Um, back to reality, I suppose. Um getting back being able to go to the reach for health center um feeling like obviously everything's just come to a bit of a standstill at the moment so it'd be nice to get back out and being able to do what will help um rediscuss medication um that'd be one of my top priorities i think um yeah any other concerns or just kind of taking it one day at a time yeah, one day at a time. I, I'm trying not to look too far forward because I was getting myself in such a sort of muddle with what if this happens or what if that happens. Mm. Um, I was getting myself a bit worked up about the medication side of it because I was told it'd take six to nine months for it to get into my system. Mm. Sort of think, well, what if I have another relapse? Um, but yeah, I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah nice to hear you're hopeful definitely yeah well, thank you so much for chatting um to us today I think your story will probably resonate with quite a lot of people that um have also yeah. been diagnosed during lockdown um because we've yeah. definitely heard stories from other people who found it really hard um and I think that will really help them to know that they're not on their own um yeah and to hear um yeah to hear that people are going through similar things to them um, yeah and we really wish you well for the future um, Thank you. And, and stay in touch as well um it'd be yes. nice to sort of hear how you get on with your journey and yeah and um yeah and whether you get to change your medication and that kind of thing i'd really really be yeah. interested to know it's a positive i suppose in a way to know that you're not on your own and other people mm. you know have gone through the same diagnosis during lockdown definitely i mean an ms diagnosis anyway is a scary time so yeah to, to have done it during lockdown yeah yeah they're thinking of so no we really appreciate you sharing your story it's been really lovely to chat to you welcome we're back so those two stories were really interesting um i still can't really get around like how weird it must be to be diagnosed during lockdown and i think like that the amount of time that you have because i think you know, having spent all this time by yourself and on your own, like actually spend a lot of time in your head. And when you've been diagnosed, like all these feelings and, and things and not having 
people. To, I mean, yes, we had people to talk to on, on you know, Zoom or Teams or telephone, yeah. but, but it's not sort of quite the same, is it? So I, I'm guessing that's what both of them were saying, but I like that, that there's a lot of thoughts that, that needs to be dealt with. Absolutely. I mean, from someone that wasn't diagnosed during lockdown and doesn't have MS, I found lockdown hard enough. And um, yeah. so not having the regular people that I rely on to talk to, friends, family. So to have something life changing like this and then not have those people around must must just be so, so hard. And um, these ladies, they just like they've done fantastically well. Mm. And it's it's so, you know, sometimes when you're diagnosed or if any kind of big thing, traumatic thing happens to your life, you sort of, sometimes just having someone there, you don't need necessarily to talk about it, but, you know, just get a hug from someone and obviously yeah. all that sort of stuff wouldn't be happening. I mean, it's, it's good to sort of hear that people have still been getting diagnosed, you know, mm. somewhat normally through the process, even though everything else around it has been very abnormal um, and it's good to know that there are MS teams and the things you know um, he never was saying about being referred to to the, the local optician to check the uh, optic neuritis and things so, so I think it's encouraging to hear that things have been moving along um, even though we have seen those numbers uh, which are worrying that less people have been referred to their neurologists. That's it I think the message um, almost needs to be that if you do have symptoms that you're worried about, that you should go and get them checked. Um, despite the pandemic, you can still get diagnosed and it's better to be diagnosed rather than to let, let these symptoms sit and fester. At least yeah. if you get a diagnosis, then you can kind of get on the right treatments. It was interesting um, what Hina was saying about sort of being told by a mum to go go and check it out. I had something completely not, not MS related that I was um, kind of having a bit of pain. And, and I just kept on thinking, well, I don't want to bother anyone, you know, I don't want to bother my GP. And it wasn't until a friend of mine was like, don't be an idiot, go and have it checked out. And, and they referred me off and I had a check and I had a scan and it was all fine. Yeah. But, you know, it's like because all that time you sit there and you kind of think, oh, what if it's this? What if it's that? And, Absolutely. And, but yeah, so so sometimes it's it's good to have friends or family that prods you in. To give you that push, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, there was another thing I thought of, uh, you know, what Blaine was saying about um, having a lesion on her spine. Um, so when I was first, uh, before I was diagnosed, my first ever a symptom, uh, I've spoken about this a bit before in my, on the podcasts, but I went into a shower and it was a nice hot shower and my right leg just felt freezing cold. And I thought, you know, something wrong with the fire, with the fire hose, with the, with the shower hose. And I was like, well, what is going on here? Um and so, so I, when I was told afterwards, when I was diagnosed, that that was uh, the spine lesion that has caused that temperature thing okay. to happen. Um, so it's it's quite interesting because it's not always. I mean, most of the time, you you get told you have lesions, they don't actually say what they have caused or anything mm. like that. It's interesting you say that and that you have those symptoms because I think a lot of people, when they hear that they've got a lesion on the spine, they automatically think, oh, well, I'm not going to be able mm. to walk anymore. Um, but I, um, I'm pretty sure that that's not the case. So we spoke to neurologist Declan Chard um, about this issue, and he said that alongside other factors, MRI findings can help in the diagnosis of MS. Finding a spinal lesion can actually help a neurologist to differentiate between MS and other conditions that clinically present in the same way. Lesions in the spinal cord are commonly seen in MS and might cause no symptoms at all. When doctors consider 
treatments for overlapping remitting MS, the neurologist will look for evidence from the MRI of ongoing inflation. They also consider factors such as age, sex, and the nature of the last relapse, as well as the location of the lesions on the spine. However, none of these factors alone can predict with absolute certainty how their MS will progress. So, so I, I guess that means then that if you have lesions on the spine, that doesn't really mean that you need to worry any more about lesions there than, than they would be on in the brain. Um, like I said, sometimes you have lesions on the spine without any symptoms at all. Absolutely, yeah, that's what um, Declan said, he, that they can cause no symptoms at all. And um, even if there is a lesion on the spine, you, they still can't tell with any absolute certainty exactly how your MS will progress. Now, now that, was, that was interesting to hear, actually. I think, like you said before, I think a lot of people do worry about spine. You know, you see all these TV shows where people, you know, fall off a horse and they break, a, break their neck or, you know, you just assume that anything relating to the spine is going to be bad. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but going back to their diagnosis stories, um, I felt like they were both very different from from mine but then again you know lockdown or lockdown no lockdown all diagnosis stories are very different just because mm. all ms symptoms are so very different definitely how did you feel after you were told my brain went into like total overdrive i just wanted to know absolutely everything and i think mm. we all react so very differently when we get told anything like that you know some people want to put their head in the sand and other people like myself is just like I want to know absolutely everything uh, so obviously and a bit unwisely I went to speak to Dr Google <laughs> so I got quite a lot of like scary misinformation and um, I was diagnosed at the end of February and I couldn't get an appointment with an MS nurse until the end of April and I'm not a very patient person nor am I very good at waiting um, so yeah I, I was just kind of plowing through you know the internet and I even went to spoke to a some a GP and, and, and things so uh, yeah I was not very good at waiting um, but lucky for me I did find the MS Trust website uh, which managed to calm me down quite a lot and it made me see that even though I have this thing now that I'm still you know I'm still me I'm still Helena. Absolutely we do get a lot of questions actually from the newly diagnosed community and um, and we think it, we feel it's really important to let people know that we, we are here for them and even if you can't get hold of your MS team then you, or you don't have an MS team then you can still get in contact with us. Yeah um, and obviously back back when I was diagnosed I wasn't working for the MS Trust <laughs> uh, but I was just so happy that when I came across this organisation that sort of got me it felt like. Um, well I mean I liked the MS Trust so much I managed to get a job here didn't I? So. <laughs> <laughs> so remember that if you do have any questions about MS and being newly diagnosed or any questions yeah. relating to MS at all that we are here for you and our inquiry service is available from Monday to Friday except UK bank holidays from 9am to 5pm and outside of these hours you can always leave us a message and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And you can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and Instagram and you can find this podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcast and Amazon Music. Uh, do give us a follow and tell people about this podcast please because we'd like to have lots of listeners and you know like they say like and subscribe. And we would also like to say a big thank you to Anne Chapman Audio for providing us with this podcast theme tune.